0: This is Brian Croft. Welcome to another edition of Trench Talk, the podcast of Practical Shepherding. And I'm joined, as always, with Jim Sebastio. Jim, good to see you. Hi, Brian. Good to see you. And I'm going to let Jim, we have a special guest, I'm going to let Jim inter, uh, introduce him in a minute. But before we do that, just a couple of quick housekeeping things. want to remind you, if you, um, if you have been helped by the podcast, would you go and write a review for us on iTunes? It helps us grow. It helps spread the word of the podcast. The other thing, too, is if we can help and serve you in any way, please contact us through practicalshepherding.com. You can leave a donation there to help with the ministry. You can write us, you can even ask questions that you want us to address on the podcast. And so we just encourage you to do that. But for this episode, we we kind of have a special episode we want to to tackle. We have a guest with us. So Jim, I'm going to to turn it over to you and explain what we're going to be doing.
1: Yeah, thanks, Brian. Uh, We have with us today uh, Pastor James Carroll. And uh, James pastors a church in Bardstown, Kentucky, and... Uh, main reason we're having him on uh, today uh, is because Brian, you and James have written a book together. It's just come out, uh, and it's called Facing Snarls and Scowls, and uh, the subtitle is Preaching Through Hostility, Apathy, and Adversity in Church Revitalizations. That's fairly specific,
0: but... We're going um, with an uplifting... You know. <laughs> yeah,
1: so obviously it's a really interesting uh, title. It's a book that... Uh, I read a few weeks ago, uh, Brian sent me a, a kind of a digital copy uh, to me and some others that we could read it and review it, and I found it personally very helpful. I'm not in a church revitalization, but I don't think you have to be in a church revitalization, simply be a pastor to find it uh, do you helpful. Fa- do
0: you face snarls and scowls, though, when you preach? Uh, I have. <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, there, there
1: and and So uh, anyway, I want to begin by saying, hi, James, welcome to uh, Trench Talk.
2: Yeah, hello, guys. Thanks for having me on today. <clears throat>
1: James, uh, why don't you just take a minute, introduce yourself, tell us um, about yourself, maybe about your family, and how long you've been in ministry and, and where?
2: Yeah, so I serve, as you said, uh, Parkway Baptist Church in Bardstown, Kentucky. I've been there for a little over nine years. Uh, I'm married to my wife, Makila. We have two children, I have a daughter, 13, and a son who's 10, and I uh, grew up mostly in Kentucky. I grew up in rural parts of the state in uh, central Kentucky and then mostly in eastern Kentucky. Uh, Since the call to ministry, when I was in high school and uh, graduated from high school, went to a state school here in Kentucky, went to Southern Seminary. uh, Served as a a bivocational youth minister while I was in seminary and then did a residency at the First Baptist Church of Atlanta Mm -hmm. uh, right after I graduated. And then was part of a church planting team in West Georgia for about five years, and then came back to Kentucky in 2010. So just real briefly, kind of where I've been and, and who I am. And
1: James,
0: quickly, you wrote another book that uh, Practical Shepherding, I, I think we published or helped publish. Yeah, we need to add a couple of, of distinguishing marks to that resume. One is a, a board member of Practical Shepherding. Yeah, he didn't even Very mention Very influential that. board member of <laughs> and so, and normally how he introduces us <laughs> That's that. right. I know. I was kind of surprised that. by that. And the second one is... Uh, he is one of our authors, so he wrote a book called Collateral Damage that, that we had talked about. I had asked him to write, and, um, and it's one of our resources, and it's it's uh, one of the ways we discovered what a gifted writer yeah. James is.
1: Yeah, it's a, that's a very uh, personal and uh, painful book, but ultimately very helpful. Uh, James, maybe I don't think we've done a podcast mm-hmm. about that. Maybe just explain very quickly, because that's part of your story, a big part of your yep. story. Uh, and, yeah.
2: Yeah, a big part of my early story, my dad was a pastor and uh, served in a number of different churches, and then when I was 12 years old, uh, he and my mom divorced, which is a significant event in my life, and uh, of course, lots of details to that story, but the book really traces the grace of God in the years that followed. Um, I, I didn't commit that sin. I was a, a sufferer as a result yeah. of it. Um, certainly committed plenty of sins, sure. but uh, the, the book tells the story of God's grace both through uh, His word and also through the local church over yeah. those next years. So as a result of that event, I didn't, I didn't grow to dislike the church. I actually grew to love the church and appreciate oh, yeah. her. Yeah, and, and so book tells the story of redemption, really, in my own life and reconciliation with my dad and, and between uh, my family.
1: And your dad actually wrote uh, The Afterword, did he? Yeah, uh, sure in the did. Book, which is uh, really, really exciting. Mm-hmm. So, James, did you come up with
2: the title for this book? I did not. I can't claim the title. Okay. I did pitch the idea to Brian. He, he needs to claim the idea. So you mentioned
1: that. So yeah, so tell us, uh, Brian, your initial thought was, James said something to you about maybe wanting to do another writing project, I'm preaching, and your thought originally was, oh uh, no, not another book, on i can preaching. List,
0: I can mention 10 uh, books in preaching that I would recommend right now, and Practical Shepherding is mainly about filling in the gaps. So I thought, there doesn't need another preaching book, and then James and I had coffee.
1: So, James, what did you say to Brian uh, when you all met together?
2: So part of it's self-serving. I wanted to do another writing project. I was trying to think of what would be a decent writing project. Uh, but the other, and, and as my in my role as a board member, which, again, I failed to mention, but it's a critical part of my resume. <laughs> Clearly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but part of that is to try to expand the ministry of practical shepherding. And so when you look at the resources that we have as part of practical shepherding, um, there was a gap, I felt like, in a resource for preaching. Mm-hmm. So if you look at all the different areas of ministry, um, Brian has written co-authored books that address nearly every part of it except preaching. And so I thought there was a space for him to address that and wanted to help him do that.
1: So this is not really a – there's a little bit of a how-to in the book. You, you do you do talk a little bit about some of the, the basics of expository preaching. But explain maybe – for, for men that you'd be encouraged to read the book what was the, what was the main burden that you had and that you you felt that needed to be addressed and maybe in a more niche way uh, in regard to, to men in ministry
2: yeah the specific area of preaching that I felt like Brian could address and maybe I could address with him was preaching in difficult circumstances so again there are great books how-to books about preaching we could list those um, but Brian's experience in pastoral ministry, and then mine to some degree about preaching in difficult circumstances. I felt like we could write a book that would be encouraging to pastors and hopefully corrective to some who view their situations in a particular way, um, but certainly encouraging.
0: And yeah, that was the niche that I was drawn into. So I didn't realize another preaching book needed to be written, but the fact that, but what I did not know, especially all the revitalization work I'm involved with now, uh, that is a unique niche in having to preach in an environment where people. Either are apathetic or even hostile to it.
1: Yeah. So the main theme I think that you're trying to get across, and it's obvious as you look at the chapter titles, is, is that of endurance and perseverance. It's really just not giving up. I mean, a lot of that is about when you, you're you going to be in ministry, all, all of ministry has its difficulties. It, it, it will eventually. It, it, you, you, you may have a honeymoon period, and that honeymoon period may last. For months for some it's days some for, but for some it's months in my case it was really years i I there was a time uh somebody used to refer to us as the Cinderella church because everything just seemed to go so well it just grew 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 and and had such a a, a warm uh, environment people were getting converted and people were being added to the church and then and then began to hit some of these more difficult spots. And so eventually, this is the kind of the kind of a book or the kind of encouragement that if you say, if you don't need it right now, then wait a while uh, because eventually you're going to need to hear. And so I, I just want to break down a couple of things by way of a preface and then ask you guys some questions. Um, so you bring out part one, it's entitled, You're in Good Company, and you deal with en- enduring preachers in the Bible And in church history. And so, very quickly, who are some of those that you doubt? So, you deal with the minute in the Bible, you deal with ministries like that of.
2: So, we mentioned specifically Moses and the ministry of the word he had with the Israelites, a difficult, recalcitrant people at Mm. times. Um, We talk about a couple of prophets, Elijah. And in Elijah's story, you know, he wins the great battle with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel, but then it's really the season after that when he expects that he'll be received warmly by the people and celebrated, right. and then he ends up running. Uh, down south to the wilderness yeah. because Jezebel wants him dead. So we talk about him, we talk about Isaiah and his difficult ministry, obviously the disciples, and then the Apostle Paul, really the last of those. And uh, we talk about him a lot late in the book as we're quoting from the passages of yeah. the New Testament.
1: Yeah, was very helpful. And then uh, in church history, some of the figures you deal with in church history that, had, uh,
0: that demonstrated endurance. Yeah, because we, we address these three areas of hostility, apathy, and adversity. Uh, we we had specific things we wanted to address with those three things, and so we wanted to highlight people in church history that people would know, but also highlighting maybe aspects of their ministry that that tied into those things. So we picked uh, we picked Simeon for mm. ad, for a hostility. Anybody knows who Charles Simeon's story? He pastored the same church for forty something years and dealt with a tremendous amount of hostility, and it all centered around his preaching. Mm. Uh, apathy was edwards mm-hmm. and anybody knows anything about edwards knows that you know he preached that famous sermon sinners and hands angry god and people were wailing in the fields when he's preaching an open air and people are converted and this is massive move of god and he goes and preaches the same sermon in his church and there's just like no reaction so uh that really kind of defines apathy i think in a lot of ways yeah. and we talked and we talked about spurgeon for adversity just because he dealt with so much personal adversity with the physical struggles and the the depression and those kind of things. So we wanted to tie in the the historical ministries of others to kind of give us a, a tangible example. Yeah, I,
1: I, again, really appreciated that. Uh, there's some other good books that deal with some of those uh, same issues. Um, Twelve Faithful Men is a book I read recently, and some of those biographies were really helpful in that way, too. brother. there's one of the things I really appreciated very much about this, because we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit of because we're gonna talk about uh hostility, apathy and adversity. And in a sense, that kind of deals with the audience. It deals with those you're you're preaching to, and we can always run the risk. It can sound like we're just pointing the finger or we we're, we're blaming our congregations that aren't accepting aren't receiving joyfully our ministry. but you you preface that, I think very helpfully with a, a kind of self evaluation. And recognizing that sometimes people are apathetic that maybe it's our fault that maybe it's because we're not we're not as good a preacher as we think we are Uh, I think most most men who preach think they're really good preachers Mm -hmm. I I remember one time uh, sitting under uh, a fellow's ministry when he was just getting started and one of my fellow elders said afterward he said he's the most confident bad preacher I've ever heard (laughs) and uh because you know he just did it with gusto, but he just wasn't really good uh, at that time. Yeah. Um, and so that can happen and and I've seen I've seen men in ministry depressed, they're angry, they're hostile, they're hostile back. Uh, they're blame shifting. and and I just want to say at the beginning, obviously that can happen. I, I've done it, and it sounds like you guys may have done that as well. Uh, so maybe share a little bit about that. What did, what did you learn? How did you learn to try to evaluate and evaluate rightly that my ministry is not being received? People are either hostile, they're adverse. Is it because of how I'm preaching? Is it because of what I'm choosing to deal with, what battles I'm doing, and the order in which I'm doing them? Maybe open that up a little bit. James, why don't you start with you with that?
2: Even when your preaching is met with overwhelming praise – you should be evaluating your preaching. You should be thinking critically about whether or not you're rightly dividing the word and doing it in the best way.
1: So I'm going like, to stop you recording How do you do that? How do you practically do that? Do you listen to yourself?
2: Do you, do you listen to recording? <laughs> Sometimes. I think I heard Sinclair Ferguson say one time that n- no man has the constitution to listen to his preaching all the time. Right. <laughs> you, just, you just can't endure that. Right. Um, but selectively, yes. You need yeah. to listen to your own preaching. And then you need to have trusted people both in the congregation and outside your, the congregation. Your wife. Sometimes, yeah.
1: Uh, what yeah. about uh, do you have do you have particular people that you choose that you trust are going to be that you know they love you yeah. you know they love the truth they love right. preaching and they're yeah. going to be honest and helpful with you and either say no brother I think you should be encouraged when you're really discouraged yeah. or maybe say brother it's not the fault of the congregation uh, following
2: you is hard yeah. yes so I think outs- when you come to a church having brothers outside the church that will provide that for you is very helpful in the beginning because you don't know exactly who in the church can be trusted in that way to evaluate critically but also love you. And so having some folks without that you send the sermons to and say, will you give a listen and Mm -hmm. and let me know? what and do you it,
1: think? I mean, yeah, preach It's hard for preachers because I mean mm-hmm. that's our, that's our baby. You know, we birth that baby, and you don't want somebody looking at it and go, "That's really an ugly baby." <laughs> or, you know, uh, it's very personal. Brian, <laughs> you shared a, a story, and I, I can't remember if it's in this book or if you just shared it with me personally. You 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 talk about an older woman in the congregation who originally you kind of viewed as like she's hostile, she's an enemy, mm-hmm. and you realize she was really just trying to help you. Uh, maybe share a little bit about that. And
0: yeah, well, first thing I want to say is, is that. Um, this is one of the many places where James made such a significant contribution to this book. This section where he's, he like we need to have a section that people make sure they, that uh, because of difficulty in the circumstances, it could be because the pastor preaching is not a good preacher or he's doing mm. things in an unhelpful way. Right, and that's I would say that's the first thing that's really important for each pastor to evaluate to not we're, we because we get personally hurt by either whatever is said. We naturally want to go to, it's about them. And there could be more self-reflection and uh, and it's just self-awareness for the preacher. That's one of the best tools, I think, to grow as a preacher. Right. So um, the lady you're talking about, his name is Betty. She's 90 now. And I tell this story a lot when I, when I tell my story because she's the only one that came to me and told me that she didn't like my preaching but told me why, mm-hmm. which was refreshing in those early years with all the hostility I was facing because... Other people didn't like my preaching, but they wouldn't come tell me about it. They tell other people, but not me. So Betty'd come to me, and she described some things to me and tried to talk me through it. And I, you know, in in the wisdom of a 29 year old, you know, just dismissed what this woman had to say, thinking she doesn't understand expositional preaching. She doesn't get, right. you know, she doesn't know what I'm trying to do. And the short version is, eight years later, after I had gone through a pretty painful process of trying to just grow as a preacher. I had changed everything that woman told me to change. And so one of the things I want we want to, to emphasize with this book is that uh, this is not about uh, us against them. This is about exactly. when there's hostility and apathy in a congregation, sure, part of it's about them, but to not, uh, to not forget that there, we play a part in this and that we have to grow, not just grow as a preacher, but we have to grow as shepherds to know how to best preach to them that they would receive it. Hmm.
1: A church history example for me is is J.C. Ryle, uh, and oh, yeah. uh, J.C. Ryle is one of my favorite preachers. And one of the things I love about Ryle is his clarity and his simplicity. In fact, he's he's written an excellent little. Uh, there's a I guess it's a sermon. There's a 30 or 40 pages. You can find it online on simplicity in preaching. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that struck me about Ryle, and I didn't know this originally, I assumed that that simplicity was sort somewhat natural to his personality and to his thought. But the reality is that when he began his ministry, people were not growing, and they weren't thriving because they didn't understand it. it. It was it was correct. It was exegetically correct. It was probably, in many ways, homiletically excellent, but you know the cookies weren't on the shelf, as they say. And so the people weren't thriving because they didn't understand it, and he didn't berate them for their ignorance. He had to adapt himself in a form of simplicity so that they could... You know, receive it and grow from it, and and so I, I think that's, I think that's there's a lot of wisdom in that, and, and of of a man <clears throat> recognizing there are things I'm doing that aren't helpful. Yeah, and maybe Brian, maybe I don't know if you want to share anything that you found that specifically you realized I wasn't trying to be unhelpful. I thought I was being, but but one or two things maybe that Betty or others pointed out that you realize. I do need to change, and this is how I've
0: changed. Yeah, I get that question a lot after I share the story because uh, what did this? What did this at that time? Eighty-year-old widow mm-hmm. uh, in the church notice, and what she noticed—the best way to articulate it—there's several things. Best way to articulate it is she noticed my heart was not engaged when I preached, mm-hmm. and my mind was. And so you can exposit a text when your mind's engaged, and you can explain it well, and you've studied, but. But, you know Spurgeon calls preaching heart work and, and my right. heart wasn't disengaged mm-hmm. and she could see it in in the way I was presenting it mm-hmm. and which is a tremendously uh, you know a tremendously wise and insightful mm-hmm. thing wow. to see yeah. in me as a young man and painful painful and, to hear and and that I didn't know yeah. at the time and yeah. so w- a- as I went through a process to grow and learned how to engage my heart that, mm-hmm. so so there's some mechanical things that changed as a result of that but she that's the main thing she saw my heart was disengaged. My, uh, and there were some things going on with me. so I, I came from a background one where I was taught to be a pretty rigorous expositor, you know pushing the mind to to stretch you in that way. and I was being taught that and I was coming out of churches that were very pragmatic mm-hmm. that were that used emotion to manipulate mm-hmm, the congregation right? and I was burned by that. so it's kind of a perfect storm for me to basically say, okay when I preach, don't use emotion, my own emotion, don't engage that, but make sure I hammer them with things from what I've learned. And that makes for really bad preaching in a lot of ways. It's very disengaging preaching. And it took me a good six, seven years to even start to figure that out. I think about, you know, Jesus said to the disciples at one
1: point, I have other things to say to you, but you're not able to handle it. And you know, the writer of the Hebrews talks about that, you know, you should be here, but you're not, and you have need, you know, to go over certain basic things again. I think sometimes as preachers, we need to have that same kind of heart and wisdom and, and understanding. That, yeah, I wish the congregation were, were so far advanced that I could, I could exegete the way I want to and say the kind of theological things I want to. But that's not really shepherding that flock. It's shepherding a flock that
0: doesn't exist. Yeah, I think we're, we're I get asked a lot: What's pastoral? What's pastoral preaching? And I think that's what we're talking about. Right. We're, we're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, preaching in such a way that we have our flock in mind. And for those who want to want to know why is what is how is preaching different for a local church pastor? Yeah. That's it. We we preach in mind of the flock. So James, how about for
1: yourself? How did uh, some of that realization come about in your own side? I assume you have you have a similar some similar autobiographical material in that regard. there's a similar
2: story in the book about a lady who approached me after preaching um, to make a constructively criticizing comment about the preaching, and it's very helpful in that moment, and thankfully, you know, the Lord was gracious to me in that. But just over the years, some people are responding with snarls and scowls because of their immaturity, but often what's driving them to do that um, is the realization that the preaching's not as good as it ought to be, Mm. and so when they respond, even when they respond in a nasty way, uh, the preacher ought to step back and consider whether or not there's some truth in there that they could use to evaluate their own preaching. And so we, we, we're not just trying to, to throw grenades at the people right. because think, they don't I, love I, good I, preaching.
1: Excellent. I, think that's, I think that's a really important part. So um, I'm going to wrap things up for this first time. We're going to do another uh, episode, and we're going to talk about uh, adversity and uh, apathy and hostility and break those three things down. So I'm going to pray for us and ask the Lord's blessing. Father, thank you for your work in the hearts of my brothers and that you have used them to do good in, in my heart and in the hearts of others. And Lord, pray that you might even bless this, uh, this book uh, to do good in the hearts of uh, men in ministry, uh, whether just beginning or, or after many years. We do pray, Father, for the, the humility, grace and wisdom and humility to receive rightly Uh, concerns about our ministry. Lord, we do want to do what we do to your glory, and we want to do what we do for the good of the flock, and we want to do what we do so that sinners might be drawn into the kingdom. So help us to grow that our ministries and our lives might be used uh, in these ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.